morning. Our reading today it starts in Mark chapter 13, verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been seen from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. I lift my eyes up, up to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven, creator of the earth. Let's sing that again, I lift my eyes. I lift my eyes up, up to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven, creator of the earth. Oh, how Ooh. 
this morning we come here admitting our own weakness we need your strength we need your wisdom we need your spirit to prepare our hearts for what you wish to do and then to live it out please do as you please for your glory in Jesus name amen hey this morning I was thinking about something, and that's the fact that unless you have been under a rock this week, you have been aware of something in, in the news cycle, uh, an expectation. You've been aware of an expectation among people that, that leaders be faithful to the oaths they've made to the people they lead. Now think about being faithful to an oath to those you lead. I want to lift our eyes higher than the kingdoms of men to our almighty, holy Father in heaven who is always faithful to his oaths to those he leads. As we continue our three-week series, Jesus looking at the last days, I want the children of God, to find confidence in God today. Last time we talked about it two weeks ago, which I realize is like forever in church world. I'd be afraid to give everybody a quiz about what we talked about two weeks ago. Like <laughs> Last time, just in case you don't remember, uh, we talked about how we can gain confidence in the foreknowledge of God that he knows where things are going and he's in control of where things are going and he's working all things to his desired outcome. As we look at prophecy fulfilled in the past, it gives us hope that prophecies for the future will also be fulfilled just as they are spoken. Today, I want us to find confidence in him for a slightly different but related reason. I want us to find confidence in God because he is faithful. He's faithful. One of my favorite hymns is Great is Thy Faithfulness. It was written by, by a man who spent time at Moody Bible Institute where Carolyn and I spent time in Chicago. We'll sing that at the end. We're going to find confidence in the faithfulness of God, especially today as seen to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. And even more focused we're going to look at his faithfulness to them in the seven-year period we know as the tribulation. Now, some of you who know something about the tribulation are going to say, how in the world are you going to talk about God's faithfulness in that dark, dark period of history to come? Stay with me. I want you to stay with me. Just by way of review, if you were here two weeks ago, you remember I shared that I believe 
the church will be gone at that point. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. If you differ based on the Bible, I have great respect for you. Great men and women of God have differed on that throughout the years. I like what my friend Frank said, though. If, if you differ with us on that, we'll wait for you, and we'll see you when you get there. <laughs> but wherever you fall on that, that's okay. But just so you know where I'm coming from, when I talk about the tribulation today, I, I see us with the Lord during that time. But I want to do two things. I want to go through Jesus' words in Mark, and I want to bring out six ideas that start with the letter U. I hope that helps us remember them. They'll all start with you, and you can write them down if you'd like to. Six things we see in this passage itself about this coming time of trouble known as the tribulation, and then I want to pull back. That's kind of zoomed in. I want to pull back and get a high-level view of Scripture and share five things about God's faithfulness that I believe will encourage us as His children. Okay, so let's start with the, the low-level look in this passage. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 13, verse 14. Jesus tells his four guys who are asking questions about the destruction of the temple and the timing of the end. Verse 14, he says, When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. And I want to start here by telling you that he's telling his guys this time of trouble will be understood by a sign. The sign is the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. Now these four Jewish guys, when they heard the abomination of desolation, they would look backwards to something that had already happened in Jewish history. 167 BC, how many of you have heard of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes? Pagan ruler who sacked Jerusalem went into the temple, put a pig on the altar, and sacrificed it to Zeus. They had experienced that painful moment in the past, but this also points forward. It points forward to two things. They would taste some more abomination of desolation in A.D. 70 when the temple was destroyed and some of the things that happened around that time, but it also points even further than that into the future, I believe, to the man we know as the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Far future. So while Jesus answers this, he's, he's dealing again with A.D. 70, which is going to be closer for them, but he's also, I believe, dealing with the distant future. It's going to be understood by that sign. Second thing about this period of history is it is uniquely Jewish in its flavor. Not, not exclusively Jewish because we know it affects the whole world, but there's a unique Jewish flavor to this period. Mark told us that this abomination of desolation would be standing where he ought not to be. Matthew helps us know where that is when he records this. You may know where it is. Matthew 24, 15 says this abomination will be standing in the holy place, which I believe, along with many others, is the rebuilt temple in the city of Jerusalem. So that, that alone gives this a, a Jewish flavor. He goes on to say, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That again 
I believe both in A.D. 70 and in that future tribulation gives it a Jewish flavor. Now, to bring out this Jewishness even more, we got to go back to the 77s we talked about two weeks ago in Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to give you a review, so don't worry. I know it was a long time ago. Daniel 9.24, he got this vision from Gabriel. Gabriel told Daniel 70 weeks, which we said we believe are sets of seven years. 70 sets of seven years have been decreed for your people, Daniel. Who are Daniel's people? Israel. That was an easy one. You guys listening? All right. All right. Have been, been decreed for your people and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the wrongdoing, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Okay, 70 weeks. And you remember two weeks ago, we only talked about the first 69 weeks or 483 years where Daniel said after 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. We talked about how that pointed us right to the A.D. 30s when Jesus was crucified. And also after the 69 weeks, the city would be destroyed, which would be several decades later in A.D. 70. So those of you who were listening well a couple weeks ago may have said, what about that 70th week? Come on, he didn't finish. That's right, we didn't. Well, I believe along with many that that 70th week is on pause right now. It has not yet begun. We are in what Daniel calls in his book the times of the Gentiles. You, you think of his vision of the statue, the Babylon reigns, and then Medo-Persia, then, then Greece, then Rome, and then on into the, the ages today where Israel's dispersed. We are now in the times of the Gentiles where the Israel as a nation is on pause as far as being the highlight of God's salvation plan. Does that mean no, no Jews are being saved? No. No, thank goodness not. You think about the apostles who we read in the New Testament. They were examples of a remnant of Jews who were and are being saved even today. I know missionaries preparing to go to Israel today to share the Messiah. But as a nation... The program is on pause for the times of the Gentiles. So when, when does it get off pause according to the Bible? How do we know in that 70th week where they're back in focus begins? Daniel tells us, Daniel 9.27, he will confirm a covenant with the many for one week. Say, so who's the he? Well, I don't have time to go all through, Daniel. Who is it? The bad guy, the Antichrist. We also know him as the beast, the little horn in Daniel. I believe it's the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years. That, I believe, along with many, signals the beginning of the seven-year period we know as the tribulation. Okay, and at first it's going to look good for Israel. Evidently they're going to feel threatened by world conditions, and this world ruler is going to come along and say, I'll make a covenant. With you, I will protect you so much so that you're even allowed to do your sacrifices in your temple again. It will seem wonderful at first, but that would not remain. Daniel 9.27 continued, but in the middle of the week, after three and a half years, halfway through the tribulation, he will put a stop to sacrifice 
and grain offering. No more sacrifices, Israel, to your God. And on the wing of abominations will come the one who makes desolate. This, I believe, is what Mark was talking about. Midway through the tribulation, the abomination of desolation. First three and a half years seem wonderful. The second three and a half years is going to be hell on earth for Israel and for much of the planet. Okay, we learn more about this period in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Paul says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That is the abomination of desolation. He will dare go into the Jewish temple and say, you worship me only. There will be no other worship but of me. Revelation paints the picture even more detailed. Revelation 13, 5, the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And he issues a challenge to the faithful in light of what's coming. Verse 9, he says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. What starts out looking wonderful is going to become hell on earth. You say, why did you say uniquely Jewish? Because obviously it affects the, the whole planet. I say that for a couple reasons. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 speaks of this seven-year period. I want you to listen to what Jeremiah calls it. Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob. Way back in Jeremiah 30, he, I believe along with many others, Jeremiah is predicting this seven-year period of trouble, and he calls it a time of distress for who? Jacob. If you know your Bible, that's another name for Israel. It's a time of distress for Jacob. I also believe it for another reason right in the middle of the book of Revelation. I can't go through the whole chapter for the sake of time, but go home and read Revelation 12 today. I'll just read you a taste of it. Revelation 12, verse 1 says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, some differ with me on this, but I believe that crown of 12 stars represents the 12 tribes of Israel. This is symbolically speaking of the nation of Israel. Verse 2, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. In the rest of the chapter, you see this battle between this dragon and this woman who is receiving the help of God in the midst of the battle, the ongoing battle between Satan and Israel. I believe will be highlighted during that period. The third reason, and we could share more, but for the sake of time, we'll stop here. The Jewish flavor of the tribulation also shows up in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, where John says, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Revelation 14 goes on to tell us that these were all virgins. So those are two important questions to ask anyone who says they believe they're part of the 144,000 because these are requirements. You've got to be Jewish and you've got to be a virgin. Okay, I, I take it literally as what it says. It will be uniquely Jewish. We also see that during this time of intense trial, there will be urgent action required on the behalf of those who are there. Listen to what Jesus says. Do you hear the the urgency in verse 15? Let the one who's on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Just go. Leave your stuff. Get out of there. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Just, Just run. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, Pray that it may not happen in winter because traveling conditions would be more difficult. Do you see the urgent action that will be required upon those living on the earth at that time? It will also be unprecedented in its intensity. Verse 19, Jesus says, In those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Now that is saying something. When you look at the course of history and all the suffering that has already happened in this world, he says this will be worse. And it fits in with that analogy of birth pains that we talked about. What do we say? As his return gets closer, they get closer together and they get stronger. That is exactly what you see in the tribulation. Revelation 6, just just close your eyes and and imagine this intensity. Revelation 6, 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from his place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? It will be unprecedented in its intensity. As awful as it will be, it's important that we also understand it will be under God's strict control. 
will be under his strict control. Verse 20, Jesus says, If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. He determined that it would be seven years and seven years only. Even within that seven years, it is something to imagine the amount of death we read in Revelation. He determined it would be seven years and no more. Even within that framework, listen to what Revelation 6-7 says. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. If we take that fourth of the earth as a fourth of the population based on an estimate of today's population, you're talking about 1,750,000 people dead. It will be unprecedented in its intensity. It is under God's strict control. Lastly, it is used by the evil one for deception. It will be used by the evil one to lead people astray. Verse 21, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you hear the words of Jesus as a loving shepherd. He looks at his guys and says, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Now, we take a breath. Having gone through those six U's, maybe you come back to that question I mentioned earlier. How in the world do you see God's faithfulness in the middle of the tribulation? It's a good question. I want to answer in five ways. And I pray these are encouraging to his children and that if you're not his child, it will draw you to salvation. So I'll tell you something. As a believer in Jesus Christ, when I read the book of Revelation and I know that my Father is almighty and overcomes in the end, there is comfort to be found in that book. But if you are on the other side of that equation, I implore you to come today to the cross of Jesus Christ because it is is quite the opposite of, of comfort for those who reject him. But for his children, how do, how do we see God's faithfulness in the tribulation? Well, number one, he's faithful in his judgments against wickedness. You see, we may not hear it enough, but we do not only worship a God of love and grace We worship God because he is holy. We worship God because he is true. We worship God because he is righteous. And he is faithful in his judgments against wickedness. How many of you feel the weight of wickedness in this world and long for a day when God makes it right? How many of you have felt it personally in your life? Listen to the heart cries of people looking to God in Revelation. Revelation 6, 9, and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, 
How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Do you hear their heart cry of the persecuted and martyred? Revelation eleven sixteen says the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. It is hard to understand how much comfort this brought to the persecuted church that John wrote Revelation to. They were experiencing the ire of the Roman Empire because they loved Jesus. This was their heart cry. This was the heart cry of Mark's readers in Rome when he wrote his gospel. They knew persecution and cried for their God to right the wrongs. I think about that that confidence in a God who is in control and will right the wrongs. I, I think about a story of a Christian prisoner How many of you have heard of the wicked Roman emperor Julian the Apostate? When he was leading the Roman Empire, some of his soldiers captured a a Christian and they they beat him and tortured him. He was bloodied and, and weeping in his pain and the soldiers got bored at one point and decided to mock him as they had mocked his Lord centuries before. And they looked at that bloodied, beaten Christian and said, where is your carpenter God now? He looked at them through his bloody, tear-stained eyes and said, he is building a coffin for your emperor. Now, those of you with sensitive hearts and who know your Bible may be wrestling with attention here, right? You know that in Ezekiel, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they repent and live, right? We need to follow our Lord in that. When we know people in this world who do not know him, our number one purpose for being here is to pray for their salvation, to share the good news of Jesus with them, and pray that they do not have to experience this wrath of God. That is why we're here as the church. But I also want to tell you, if you ever find yourself under persecution, from a corrupt empire or another person, it is not wrong to thank the Lord that one day he will make that right. In the end, your Lord does win. Take confidence in that and be faithful to the very end. You can have confidence that he will right every wrong. He's also faithful to his promises. Faithful to his promises. He is not done with the nation of Israel. You go all the way back centuries before to Genesis chapter 12 to a man named Abraham. God made him a promise. Chapter 12, verse 1. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. 
And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 17, he tells Abraham that this is an everlasting covenant. In verse 8, he says, I'll give you the land for an everlasting possession. Okay? Hosea. During a time when God's people were walking away from him as a nation. Hosea 3, 4. The children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. That was in a time of discipline. Same with Jeremiah, time of captivity coming. For their sin. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. On to verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs, what? All that he just talked about. The sun, the moon, the stars, if that order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. See, as long as this earth exists, they remain a nation before him forever. Amos 9, another book at a time of great wandering for the nation. It's reiterated again. Amos 9.14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities. Verse 15, I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted. When has that happened? Answer, it hasn't. It hasn't. What does that mean? It is yet to come. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Next week we'll talk about why I look forward to that in a literal 1,000-year period Revelation calls the millennium. But for today, I want to ask you, you think about the fact that it was A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was flattened. Century after century after century after century passed when the nation of Israel was not on the land where they are today. And then 1948 came. And they are back there as a nation after nearly 2,000 years. They are preparing for the temple to be rebuilt. Did you know that? Give it a Google. They're putting together pieces and equipment that will be needed when their temple is rebuilt. Do you believe, like I do, that the stage is being set for God to keep every one of his promises to his people? Listen, i, I got to say something that hit me this week. If, if God was not faithful to his unconditional promises to Abraham, the Old Testament would have been a whole lot shorter. 
Just saying. Seriously. Just think about it. Think about it, okay? And listen, God's faithfulness to keep his promises to Israel gives us confidence. He will keep every one of his promises to believers in Jesus in the church today. You can take his promises to the bank. Number one reason you can take his promises to the bank is he is faithful to his character. He's faithful to who he is. One of the Israelite psalmists cried out on that basis to him in Psalm 79, verse 8. He said, do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. I'm so glad God's faithfulness rests on his character and not mine. Amen? And I want to tell you something. You come to Jesus, all of God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ. So his faithfulness is based on the name of Jesus Christ and the fact that you are in him. If you're a believer, you take that to the bank. He's faithful to his character. Listen to this. He's also faithful in his discipline in the lives of his children. We already established he's faithful to his promises to Israel and that the tribulation is the, the day of Jacob's trouble, right? Why? Why would he have them go through that? Day of Jacob's trouble. Well, I think of the day of Jacob's trouble. I think back to Israel's namesake, Jacob, back in the Old Testament. You remember Genesis 32? Jacob, you know what his name means? Heel grasper, deceiver. He was quite the conniver in his younger years. Deceived his brother, his father. He had to run away because of it. And in a period in his life, after he had gained wives and children and many flocks, he was prepared to go back that way, and he was afraid that his brother would attack and kill him. And there was a moment in time where he got separated from his, from his herd. It was just him. Genesis 32, 24 says, Jacob was left alone. It says, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he had did, not, did not prevail against Jacob, the man touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then the man said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Let me ask you a question. Why did God give Jacob that busted hip and that limp? Was it because he hated Jacob? No, it was so that Jacob would know he had to cling to the Lord for blessing and stop relying on his own ingenuity. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he would depend on the Lord. Same thing in the tribulation. Same thing in the tribulation for the nation of Israel. 
They're going to go through all those horrors. But God has a purpose in mind that they will turn to their Messiah, Jesus Christ, in faith as a nation. Listen to God's desired outcome that will take place among many in the nation. Zechariah 10.10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. How precious will that moment be when the nation finally turns to Jesus? Zechariah 13.1, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Verse 9, They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Listen, here's the deal. Not all who are physically Israelites will enjoy those blessings. Only those who turn to him as Messiah, which is exactly his purpose for their discipline, to turn them back to him. You say, what does that have to do with me, your average Joe Gentile here today? Joe Gentile Christian. That's the same thing for us in his discipline today if you're his follower in Jesus. He's faithful even in his discipline. Maybe you're going through it right now. You remember what the author of Hebrews said in chapter 12, verse 5? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He's faithful even in our discipline. Last but not least, God is faithful in the waiting. He's faithful in the waiting. You think you know something about waiting? Think about Israel. During these century after century after century of the times of the Gentiles. Think about that waiting. Now granted, it was precipitated by their leader's rejection of the Messiah. But still, think about waiting. But God is faithful even in the waiting. Paul knew this. People wrestled with, ah, God's done with the nation of Israel. What did Paul have to say about that? Romans eleven twenty five. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's the holdup in God's plan. Once that fullness of the Gentiles has come in, verse 26, in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God is faithful even in the waiting. Maybe you're waiting on God for something right now. You can know that he's faithful. If you're a believer like me waiting for the rapture, you can know that he's faithful. He's working in the waiting. I talked to Kevin after the first service, and he told me I could share this. Many of you know our Prescott Valley police lost one of our officers within the past couple of weeks. 
I talked to Kevin. He went to the memorial service yesterday, and he said God was working in those last couple weeks before his death. He said that young man had, had told some of his friends that in those weeks leading up to that, he'd had two talks with chaplains in the police department. One of the things that young man said after talking with one of the chaplains was, I've experienced God in my life like I never have before. Now, does that mean he did not have his demons to battle? No, he still had a fight. But Kevin was sharing, he believed God put those chaplains in his path right at that time. And we pray that in those encounters, he came to know the Lord. Kevin said for certain, as he sat there at that memorial yesterday with hundreds of people listening, the gospel of Jesus Christ was shared with much of our police department in our town. There are tears. There are bitter tears. There, there is grief. There is bitter grief. But God is working even in the waiting. When we think about the faithfulness of the Lord, what should that do to the way we live as his children? The faithfulness of the Lord should inspire our own faithfulness and obedience to him. When I think about that, I think about a story that I'll close with. I learned about a hymn this week called Hold the Fort. I had never heard of, heard of this hymn. Anybody know the hymn Hold the Fort? First time coming across it, it's written by a man named Philip Bliss. He, he lived during the American Civil War. It was based on an experience in the Civil War. There were Union troops that needed to guard an important supply depot at Altoona Pass, but the Confederate troops outnumbered them greatly, and the Union troops were about to give up all hope. But soon a message came across the miles from General William Tecumseh Sherman. You know what that message said? Hold the fort. I am coming. <laughs> when the men got that message, uh, a cheer went up. They, they redoubled their efforts, and they were able to hold on until Sherman arrived with reinforcements and pushed the enemy back. Philip Bliss took that story and used it as an illustration of our spiritual conflict. Listen to these lyrics. Hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven, by thy grace we will. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Today we focus on your faithfulness. We confess we do not deserve it. We thank you that your faithfulness is based first and foremost on your character. We praise you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here if we're your children with the confidence in every one of your promises. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you as Father through Jesus Christ, that you would draw them to the cross. You talk about faithfulness. You gave your Son. How will you not also along with him give us all things? You front-loaded it with the unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ. 
confess we cannot be saved by our works. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's the, the blood of the lamb, the spotless lamb. Come to the cross today. After he died for your sins, he rose again, victorious over your worst nightmares, eternal death, sin, Satan. Cling to him as your Savior and your Lord. Father, use us as a church to proclaim your faithfulness, to encourage each other in it, and share you with a world that needs your faithfulness. I pray even as we collect our offering today, it would come from grateful hearts that just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.